This is the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, all about the Arizona Cardinals and the NFL, featuring insider and outsider perspectives. Enjoy the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. Now here are your hosts, Jess Root and Seth Cox. Hello, Arizona Cardinals fans, and welcome to the latest edition of the Rise Up Secret Podcast. I'm your host, Jess Root, from CardsWire.com, the Arizona Cardinals site from the USA Today NFL Wire. My co-host is always, as almost always, as we had during the preview time, is Seth Cox from RevengeOfTheBirds.com, SB Nation's Arizona Cardinals site. I'm also one of the hosts of the original Draft Breakdown podcast, which, even though college football hasn't started and we are past the draft, there are episodes every week for you guys to listen to when you're not listening to this fine show, as we are now on episode 318, our first, we get our first look at training camp and reactions and Seth how are things going for you and and the other show and just how things look so far for the Cardinals you know it's been uh it's been a lot of of fun we uh we talked about the Pac-12 on the show last week which makes it really boring because it just seems like a bad division still. I know you're a Pac-12 guy. I love the Pac-12. What do you think of Jaden Daniels this year? I think I I, I think I like Jaden. I think I think he needs to come back for his senior year, no matter what. But I I think he's a guy that's going to get drafted, um, on day on day three if he comes out. He's so skinny. He is. <laughs> that's the one thing about him. But I like, and last year they they. As much as I, I'd like to say he's going to have a big year, I, I think the fact that last year's year was so weird. But, man, I'm excited for him. That did I'm, you, and I'm, and I'm selfish about that for the, for the Sun Devils because, you know, I'm a season ticket holder for ASU. Yeah, not to get too much into ASU, but did you know that Athlon has them winning the Pac-12 South? I can believe it. Um it, that, uh, well, I, I think it's more of anything uh, <laughs> what the Pac-12 South, South looks like is that yeah. it's there's no one that really stands out. And when you've got a third-year starter at quarterback, I think that that makes you – that puts you in the mix, I think, automatically, right? Well, exactly. And that's what we talked about a little bit is that they, uh, they've got a veteran quarterback and they've got a, a, a talented defense that's going to have probably – five maybe up to seven players drafted um before their before, before their wins get vacated yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> so uh you said it not me though but yeah i mean so it's been fun and and you know school started back for the kids as as you know uh very well and so it's just uh it's a lot of uh, moving parts right now, but you know what? Still plenty of time to talk a little bit about the Arizona Cardinals. And the preseason starts. Well, the preseason officially starts this week because we got the Hall of Fame game. Heck, that's yeah. that's Thursday. It'll, it'll be uh, posted or played by the time this gets posted. <laughs> and so Cardinals will have the first preseason game next week. We're not talking about that yet, but we have a we have a, a full week plus a couple of days of of training camp to talk about. So in this edition of the show, what we're going to talk about in this edition, we're going to give our basic takeaways of what we've talked of we've seen from camp so far. We have some injury concerns. We don't know how concerned we need to be though. Jordan Hicks, after his trade request of the offseason, 
actually addressed the media. It was a, it was eye opening. I thought it was good. And we'll talk about the return of Corey Peters and what it means. And no, we don't have any news about Larry Fitzgerald. That's that's just not something we've got. So let's kick things uh, other off. Other than other than Darren Urban's recruiting him to replace Kyle Odegaard on the on the <laughs> Arizona Cardinals beat report. So I do happen to know for a fact that they already have that job filled, and I know. Who it is. <laughs> is it you? <laughs> no, 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 not me. <laughs> nope. It is a guy I know, though. Um, so. But yeah, so there's that. As so, as much as Darren would like to recruit Fitz for that, I think Fitz would probably. I think it's way below his pay grade. <laughs> I, I don't think the Cardinals could pay him enough to write for the for the team site. Um, if they're going to pay him that kind of money, I'm sure they'd rather him playing football. <laughs> you know the the 12 million that he seems to cost every year. Although if he comes back, he's not going to he's not going to get paid 12 million. I hope. Because uh, right. I think I think his decision would have, if if the Cardinals were willing to pay him twelve million again this year I think his decision would have already been made so and I think it comes down and I'm not going to say it's only about money but it's a part of it so he's going to get paid less on and have a lesser role and is he willing to do that and maybe he doesn't think he can. And maybe he doesn't think he can actually. And we talked about it in the last show. Maybe he doesn't think he can perform at the same level that at the level that he wants to. But that's not what we're talking about. We actually want to talk about the stuff that happened early in camp. So let's talk about first thing. What are the first takeaways that you get from camp so far? From from the camp, from the reports you've heard from practice, from the things you've seen coming out of practice, which is different this year because because fans are there and reporters are there this year we can actually report on who's playing at which team and things like that rotations is that was not something we were allowed to do in training camp last year so i as one of the things i always look at when i am there at camp i look at the playing rotations how, what does the first team look like second team look like and then and anything that might stand out i i have a hard time looking at the at the line of scrimmage, um, I look. It's actually well. How do the receivers look? Maybe how many of the receivers and the cornerbacks, and that's about all I can really get anything out of, because they're not going full speed against each other, except the skill players. No, and that's the thing is, you know, there's so much that people get concerned about during this time of year when it comes to camp and and how guys look. Uh, but the reality is, and, and Jess kind of hit it on the head, the, the reality truly is that there's only so much you can see. You're not going to see much along the offensive line. You're not going to see much along the defensive line and pass rush because you just can't you, – you don't get to do that in training camp. And so, you know, unless a guy is standing out in a really negative way, and I'm trying to remember – who it was a couple years ago that we were getting texts from about how bad he was playing along the offensive line. Um, it was one of their right guards that they've had throughout the last several years, but we were getting texts about. Mm. He Remember looks... it was Pew that first year. Oh yeah. It was Pew when he was playing right guard. Yeah. And how bad he looked and he did. I mean, and then he came into the season and everybody goes, what on earth were they <laughs> thinking? And then he's moved to left guard, and he looks more natural again, and looks better. And you know, it is what it is. And but you look at it, and I think the biggest standout is kind of been the 
off the field stuff. There's a there's a quiet confidence in this group. Um, I think you know we talked about it on our group chat with uh, Blake Murphy and and uh, Johnny Venerable that you know th- this seems like it's finally Kyler's team and it seems like we're finally seeing Kyler comfortable with what he's being asked to do, not just on the field, but in the locker room. And it just seems, it just seems different to me. Um, And, and it looks and feels like he's got this confidence quiet confidence about what he's going to be able to do this season as, as the leader of this team. And that's kind of what the the first thing I'm taking away from this, this is that Kyler Murray and the, the rest of the team, they just seem to have a different level of confidence heading into this season. It is. It is interesting for me is just the, uh, it's not quite 2015 with Carson coming back, and it's definitely not 2016 with the hype and expectations. However, after missing out last year, it there's there's two things. One is is that there's urgency. Like they know the t- the talk of make or break among players is really telling um, about what the expectation level is for this. Right. Team. Right. And, and then two, just the, the, there's, there is a business like feel to this. Like, Hey, we got to get this done. We know we're good enough. Like we, and, and I, I agree. I agree. This team like the rest of the NFC West has a Super Bowl ceiling. If everything goes right, um, but a team that was eight and eight, really, they were, a, and, and I'm going to lay this and like, I know it was the last two losses of the year were ultimately what did it, but if Zane Gonzalez makes a 30, makes a 42 yard kick or whatever that was in new England, it doesn't matter. They're in the playoffs. So they got a better, they've upgraded. Like it, honestly, it's, it's, they are not worse at any position they're better at many positions that they were a year ago and they know it they know it they are unhappy with how last year ended and and that's another thing that like you said kyler it's it's like after how things ended last year he's like all right guys let's do this he looks more comfortable in that leadership role and maybe maybe simply in a level of comfort now that he's in year three um but he and he hates losing and so he he knows what there is at stake so that that's the first thing that i take away two is i mean you're talking individuals that stand out so far and i have a hard time doing this um but yeah we i mean we're only five days in the camp (laughs) and but and, and I haven't seen anything even in pads, but AJ Green has stood out. If there's something that there is something to be positive about is that, you know, many people thought he was washed up and he does not look washed up at all. He looks 
like now and and i'll preface it for a few years back if we remember that when we had the summer of Blaine Gabbard, that was kind of the theme. And every time he got out there in 2017 in, in, in the preseason, how good he looked. And when he got to the preseason, he was running he was running with the twos and the threes. A guy of his stature should be the best player on the field. And that's almost it's not he's not going it's not like Green's going against the twos, but he's not going up against the top cornerback. Um and so, and he's, and, and right now they're just doing one-on-one stuff. He's got, he, but he looks good. He doesn't look like a washed up guy, uh, which is super, super uh, encouraging early on. Uh, Rondell Moore is getting oohs and ahs with how he is performing so far. And then just early returns on Robert Alford. What, once again, and this is the third year in a row. Robert Alfred, Robert Alford looks good. So if we're talking about players that stands out, all of those three guys look good. I, I haven't, I had in the one day that I was there last week, I didn't, nothing stood out in terms of cornerback play that was bad. Nothing stood, that nothing stood out is bad at all. Nothing, but then again, I didn't also pay attention to the line of scrimmage much. Um, because well, one, they weren't in Pat. So I'll be there this weekend and someone for the red and white. And so we'll be able to see a little bit more in terms of uh, how things pop and, and how things look, maybe how the holes for the running game look because they don't do full tackling. It is really hard to evaluate because you only get a touch. You get two hands basically. And, and you don't know what tackles are going to be broken um you don't know which sacks are going to get finished and you don't know that you you hope that the holes are as open as they are in in practice yeah and i think you know when you look at the positives we've seen as you mentioned aj green he's getting rave reviews from a lot of people and and you know i go back to one of the things i discussed when they signed him and that was AJ Green played with Joe Burrow last year. Um, and one of the guys that, you know, I talked to that watches a lot of Bengals said from the beginning, it was odd how Green and Burrow were just never on the same page. And I don't, and I, you know, you pointed it out off the air a lot of that probably had to do with that they barely saw each other, you know, up until the season started. Um, Green's not a guy that spends a lot of time at practice and training camp anymore in his, you know, elder statesman years. Uh, and and they didn't have any time in the offseason together, obviously, because of COVID last year. So you look at it from that perspective, it, it makes sense that the timing was off. And that was the thing is there were a lot of throws AJ Green's way last year that were just not even close. And so that's on somebody that's on, that's on the receiver or that's on the quarterback or the more likely scenario was it was on both of them. They just weren't on the same page and they just needed, they just needed that time. And one of the things that you have to have loved this offseason more than anything is the time 
that we've seen AJ Green and Kyler Murray spending together. We had video in May, it was, I believe, April or May, of Green and Murray and Keyshawn Johnson working out together um, in Texas. And then we know that they had another workout after team workout activities, um, you know, a quote unquote private workout or just between them. And that's the thing that you look at is you look at quality of time and getting that timing and rhythm down. And maybe that's just what was missing last year for AJ green with Joe Burrow. And this year he's going to have a couple of things working his way. One as talented as Tyler Boyd and, um, the the young kid they drafted that's name's escaping me, but he played at Clemson. Um, as talented as those guys are, you put them together and they're not DeAndre Hopkins. Um, and that's I'm, I'm not taking anything away from either of them. They're just, I mean, DeAndre Hopkins is literally one of the three best receivers in the NFL. And there's not really much anybody can say differently. Um, so... He's not going to be a number one. That takes us to the Rondell Moore. And if there's been anything at camp that's been beyond exciting, it's watching Rondell Moore play. Right. Um, he's, he's consistently open in Cliff Kingsbury's offense. He's consistently, he's consistently running away from defenders and all of that makes AJ Green even more lethal because the reality becomes if if Green is just going to have one-on-one defense every single time then it's going to be a problem for defenses it's, it's probably going to be a yeah advantage Arizona Cardinals and the reason we say that is because and again, it's training camp. It's basically in shorts. Rondell Moore, I mean, we, we've never said this about any rookie wide receiver. He looks like the best receiver out there. <laughs> um, and, and, and we know DeAndre Hopkins is the best receiver. So, like, I don't want anybody to take this as that I'm saying that Moore is better than Hopkins or anything like that. But just from what we're seeing – more looks like the best wide receiver out there right now, just from what we're seeing on the field. Yeah, it's it's really it's been really impressive in that sense. In terms of comments, so this year, I know it's 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 of little importance to fans, but the return to in person press conferences has been very nice. It's not quite the same with the players because we can't, uh, you know, we don't have any actual contact with players at all in the press room. So there's nothing of the huddles in the locker room in the morning or after practice near the side of the field. But the flow of the types of questions that you have where you're not being called on in a specific order. Uh, you can follow up things, and it's been very, very nice to be able to ask about a number of things and, the, and kind of the vibe that you're getting from the players. Um, is it's that quiet confidence uh, of what they expect this year? Uh, lots of in, lots of insight, honestly, and and, and I I'm, I haven't written about it yet, but it, and we're going to get to the injuries in just a moment. But you know the 
DeAndre Hopkins, who I know part of it is trying to get out there to try and debunk the the notion that he doesn't like to practice. I learned something new, and, and, and I haven't seen it written about or commented on anywhere else thus far, but I caught something. He said he has a tightrope in his ankle, and it's and, and which is a type of procedure that you do that it, rather than I don't know when he's had ankle surgery, but rather than putting a screw in, it uses a type of band. And I believe that usage or, or load management is a something that's that's kind of important. And and with Cliff Kingsbury talking about how, you know, DeAndre knows his body, I think that's really what it is. It's just being a little bit cautious so he doesn't cause problems with that ankle. As he says, you know, I, I like practicing. I love football. I love competing. The notion of him and not liking practice really might be something to just preserve his ankle. Yeah, and if that's the case, you know, it makes a lot of sense. And I've never been one that really cares. Um, I think the last, you know, thing that we could complain about last year <laughs> was DeAndre Hopkins and and Kyler Murray's uh, being on time. I mean, if, if it gets any better, golly, we're talking about, what, 125 catches and 1,600 yards? Right. And maybe, I mean, maybe the improvement – needs to be obviously in the in in terms of the red zone area but other than that i mean can you really ask for more in the first year coming in in on a pandemic like you know we just talked about green and joe burrow and and the struggles they had and somehow all deandre hopkins did was put up those numbers last year so i you know it's not nothing i've ever worried about with hopkins um I did understand the qualms when you're talking about Hopkins and Fitzgerald, and I know they weren't on the same days, but when those guys just never work together, you do lose that flow of getting to know each other and how each other work. So that is something to watch, you know, obviously, like something to keep an eye on. That's the only thing I would say with the, DeAndre missing practices um, conversation. Well, con- coming up next on the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, the best of Cardinals talk on the web, we're actually going to talk about some concerns that we have with injuries because there are injuries and we don't know exactly what they are nor how long these players will be out. That's coming up next on Rise Up Sea Red. We're back on the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, the best of Cardinals talk on the web. Injuries. Um, it was almost comical in a way that last week well uh, the the opening of training camp the opening of camp last week they do the run test and then the very next day jj watt ends up on pup with uh with a hamstring tweak um that's of all the things that we've run into because there are a number of players who have missed practice it's dead it's been something other than the veteran day off um, J.J. Watt is on PUP right now. Uh, Sean Williams, and he's now act, been activated, but he started the started camp on NFI. Obviously, he got hurt in training sometime between mini camp and training camp. And since then, we have right guard Brian Winters. We have defensive tackle Jordan Phillips. You've got receiver. 
Christian Kirk, receiver A.J. Green now, who have suffered some sort of injuries. Um, what What is your level of concern with the injuries that we are hearing about? Yeah, not not I'm not really concerned right now. Um, just because, I mean, I, I think we're to the point where we don't know enough to be concerned. Does that, you know, does that right. make sense? Um, I mean, let's be honest. There's always a concern about JJ Watt, right? Like, well, that, that, that was the whole thing, you know, is JJ Watt, is he going to stay healthy? And literally the first day he tweaks his hamstring. Although I think, you know, I, I really think that Cliff Kingsbury, while he values training camp to some level, when it comes to players who know the system they're playing in, he is, and they, when he says we know what they're about, they are very cautious about how they go about things. I, I'm pretty sure that had this happened any other time of year, he might be mispracticed a couple of days and be, you know, limited participation one day and then be practicing and then be playing on the weekend. But I know it's partly procedural, and I'll, I'll, I'll say this, and I wrote about it. It really sounds like they're going to milk this hamstring injury to keep from J.J. from having to do too many reps on the field and, and in training camp. I would bet he might not get many reps in the preseason, and I have a sneaky feeling that if there's a part of strategic play here that – that he will come off of PUP sometime after their training camp ends, which is kind of, I think it's the week after the week after the, the, the Cowboys game. And, yeah, it's after the and then it will go by and then they'll go back and go back to a regular schedule. And they're going to be down at the Tempe facility where they're not public practices. And I think probably about then, if you just watch Watt will come off PUP right about the time as they go back to closed practices so that we can't see and the league can't see how what's going to be used exactly. Now, for those who are watching practices in, in Glendale, here's a hint. Watch Zach Allen. Zach Allen is getting Watt's reps right now. So watch how they use him and imagine Watt doing that instead that's that's my take thus far on the injury i'm not concerned about the watt injury uh if he says it's a tweak but hamstrings are not something to mess with especially when the games don't count i I think i mean let's be honest i think the reality is that we're all concerned about the watt injury in the same sense of we're just concerned about jj watt i mean (laughs) we we just want to make sure that he's out there that he plays that i mean i don't think i don't think anybody really is concerned about this injury in and of itself. I think everybody is truly concerned whether or not they're going to be able to uh, get him on the field for, I mean, let's be honest, what would we hope? I mean, obviously 17 games, but if he's on the field for 12 to 14 games and, you know, and, ready for the playoffs i think that's really what we're all hoping for that, obviously yes. best case scenario is he plays all 17 and and is ready for the playoffs but if he's on the field for 13 to 14 games 
and then also available for the playoffs, then that's all. I mean, that's really all you can ask for um, from him and, and the team in general. And I think that's what the hope and expectation is. And so I think you're always naturally going to be nervous about him because he's shown to be injury prone. Yeah. Now, I will say this. If there's one injury that I'm more hesitant about than anyone else's, it's Jordan Phillips, and that's simply because of what happened last year. And since we don't have – now, this is prefaced by Cliff Kingsbury spoke about it on Wednesday is the fact that he's not forthcoming with injuries because he doesn't have to. That is not required by the NFL. They don't have to talk about injuries until week one. When they have the injury report, they have to disclose those t- sort of things. That and that's and, and that said, when he talks in the regular season, all he does is kind of refer to the injury report. He doesn't know. He won't say how long a player he anticipates will be out. Um, I and I talked about this you before the before we went on the air. This is a, a stark change from Bruce Arians, who literally would begin press conference and trading camp giving this information to the reporter saying so-and-so won't practice today he's got a hamstring so-and-so is out so-and-so is out this guy's got a vet day off and you know press perspective it's super nice (laughs) because then that's information so is the Jordan Phillips the hamstring again who he got the hamstring to manageable got back after injured reserve to play and tweaked it again. And, you know, they were real disappointed that because of that, because he worked hard to be able to get back out there. Is this going to become a chronic thing? Because he's not been an injury-prone player his career. Uh, it's just is, is it the hamstring again? Because we had, you know, last year Max Williams had the lingering ankle. He talked about it. You know, he, he came into camp with an ankle that was a little bit worrisome. He was limited all through camp, played week one then needed surgery, and his ankle was never right. But that's dated all the way back to the beginning of camp. And Phillips, you're like, especially a guy that's 340 pounds. I'm like, I, I saw him work doing work in, in minicamp, so he was healthy then. But we hope I don't want that to linger. The that, That's the only one that we don't know any sort of length. Even Brian Winters, we don't know what it is. Cliff said couple of weeks. Christian Kirksen and A.G. Green seem to be quite minor, which makes me think that they're probably something, either a minor ankle or something minor with the soft tissue. But other than that, crossing fingers, so far, nothing major, which is what we always want to avoid, but always seems to happen at least once. Yeah, and and Phillips' issue has always been that he's an... he, I, I know it sounds counterintuitive, but he's an explosive 340 pound guy. He's not, he's not, he's not thick strong, and plotty. <laughs> right. He, I mean, and, and again, it sounds counterintuitive, but he's not a strong 340. He's not, like you said, a stout 340 pound guy. He's more of a shoot the gaps, you know, type of guy. And so the reality becomes that. He's going to deal with tweaks and stuff like that. And it's just at his size, it's really, really hard with the way he plays to play through it. Because if he can't explode off the snap, 
he's he's a wasted body out there. I mean, he's not Lecky Foe too. He's not Corey Peters in that he can, you know, kind of hold up guys and maintain a presence. He's he's closer to a Darnell Dockett type of usage in how he does things. So if that makes sense. And so that is always a concern because more than anything, you want him to be healthy and, and productive and play because it would be nice to be able to have a pass rush with him and oh JJ Watt on the interior and yes. then Chandler Jones and, and Marcus, Marcus Golden, Golden on, on the, the outside. That, on that, the outside. that mean, could be yep. like, that front. If Phillips is good, it's healthy. Wow. Just the pressure from all over is going to be intense. And so that's, I mean, that's the big thing for him is just getting back healthy. Green is all, you know, all these veterans, let's be honest, their concerns. It was the concern with hiring them, right? Like, right. <laughs> that was the concern when they signed them is that AJ Green hasn't played, you know, a full season in three, three years. JJ Watts played one in five, I think it is, or two in five. Um, and so it's just, you know, it, it's all about finding those guys and, and keeping them relatively healthy throughout the season and being able to manage, as you said, their workload, but also be able to manage the fact that if they're lost for a game or two, that you've got something in the hopper. And and I do feel like this year they're better prepared. You know, if they lose Watt and Phillips for the same games, I think that'll be harder than if they lose, you know, one or the other. Well, and even still, because of Zach out now, again, last year the defensive line health was a major issue because there was only one player on the defensive line who played all 16 games. That was Angela Blackson, who's not even on the team. Everyone else who had any significant time on the roster, other than like a practice squad call-up, landed on injured reserve. Like it was, Leckie was on it, Lawrence, Richard Lawrence, Jordan Phillips twice, Zach Allen, Josh Morrow, when he had come in for like a game, ended up on there. And it was, it was everyone. So if that group stays out, that's a, that's a fairly deep group. I mean, it, you know, Phillips and, and it looks like Richard Lawrence is starting, but now with Corey Peters back in the, back in the mix, that makes it even deeper. Now I will say two players that I am very happy to see, not having injury issues one max williams tight end that's going to be that's going to be a game changer for that offense at least for the the threat with the run game um if he continues to look good like he's he said himself he feels so much better last year he was never comfortable he had a good he had a great off season with recovery and training and his ankle is great jalen thompson we barely got to see him because he got hurt three plays in and the ankle wasn't right, and he re-injured it as well. So he didn't end up on IR, but he missed two chunks of time. And that secondary, while Chris Banjo held up, it's supposed to be that safety tandem. The Cardinals think they've got a special safety tandem in Baker and Thompson. And Baker and, and Banjo, now Banjo's serviceable. Thompson is supposed to be good. Yeah, and so that's the that's the thing right now is that, you know, and, and when you talked about concerns or, or, you know, anybody that hasn't played well or, 
early takeaways from camp. I think this all goes together. The reality is that barring a, a Kyler Murray injury, the offense has to take that next step this year and become a full-fledged top 10 offense. And thus far in practice, you feel like they're on the right pace. We're not going to say that they are you know, there yet, but you feel like they are heading in the right direction. The defense is another story. The defense is basically starting new. Um, the only true returning starter from last year is Buda Baker. Uh, you look at it, Jalen Thompson didn't really, I mean, he's a starter, but he didn't really start a ton last year because of injuries. Obviously, we know about Robert Alford. Oh, sorry, and Byron Murphy. But Murph's moving to a new position as well, where he's going to be expected to play on the boundary. Um, you know, Robert Alford, obviously, he's been around, but he's never actually played in a game, something we've discussed. Isaiah Simmons is now, you know, starting and and expected to play literally every snap. <laughs> um and then you look at the defensive front and you've got, you know, obviously Watt and is new. Uh, Chandler Jones is coming off an injury where he barely played last year. And, and when he was on the field, he was ineffective. And then you've got guys that we, I mean, we don't even know who's going to start the rest of the way. Let's be honest. We're, we have some thoughts and, and we've seen some things that I think give us tips, but we, I mean, we haven't even seen this defense together yet. So those are, I think, the only injury concerns you have is that this defense just hasn't had a time to gel. And so when you talk about the Cardinals and, and, and you know, the expectations and you talk about 15 and 16, this feels a lot like 2013 to me, where except it, for the defense holding it together, at the beginning of the season, you're talking about the offense holding it together while the defense figures it out. And I think if they figure it out in those first four games that this team really could be a team to watch out for because they've got the talent, they've got the different types of, of athletes and they've got the veteran leadership in the right spots. If if this defense can gel together and overcome all these injury concerns, and it doesn't have to be 17 games of, of healthiness. I think that gets overstated a lot. I think it's guys missing time on their own and, and only missing a game or two at a time and it not coming in, in waves where, you know, you you're missing key guys and they're overlapping each other obviously and missing all potential devastating year long type injuries those will be the keys over everything else coming on next on the rise up sea red podcast the best of cardinals talk on the web let's move on to a specific player jordan hicks he asked for a trade he didn't want to be here but he's still here he had a lot to talk about that's coming next on rise up sea red we're back on the Rise of Sea Red podcast, the best of Cardinals talk on the web. One of the surprise press conferences of camp for me was, in fact, Jordan Hicks, especially in a year where 
the team still dictates who speaks to the media. A guy who was unhappy and there was a trade request wasn't at minicamp. Guess what? He was one of the, like he was there um, at a press conference and he owned up to it. Whether it was the Cardinals or the Cardinals didn't hide him away, or he didn't ask them to hide him away, since the since reporters can't go in the locker rooms, can't stop him after practice. And he talked about he talked rather frankly and earnestly about how the offseason went. And for me, it was quite impressive on a couple of levels because it was one honest about how upset he was and how how he was unhappy with the situation and two the the willingness to the willingness to keep you know and accept the role that he's in right now um yeah i was i was really impressed by the fact that he's well it was one of the things we haven't really heard about from Steve Klein is being very upfront with players, especially ones that are kind of on their way out. That's one of the things that Patrick Peterson complained about recently. Um, but it was just a few days after the draft, and like he told Hicks, you can't compete for the starting job. And Hicks was like, wait, what? The football's about competition. You know, the starting job's going to be Zayvon Collins. Uh, what did you think about the things that Hicks said? Because I was, I was super impressed with the whole of it. Yeah, I think, I think both sides, you know, come out looking a little better. Um, I think obviously there's the concern that we all have that time overcorrected a little bit and then went from, you never play rookies to, Hey rookie, you're going to start a veteran. You can go ahead and look for a, a trade, but I don't know if it was that simple. And, and, you know, this, we haven't heard anything from Kime. So it might be a little bit of paraphrasing, if you will, from, from Jordan Hicks on how that conversation truly went. Um, but it seems like both parties are in a good place of understanding. Would you, I mean, would you not kind of agree with that assessment? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, I think one of the things that's really hard for a guy like Jordan Hicks, and it's it's true for all athletes. I mean, Patrick Peterson found it. Um, Tyron Matthew, when he you know left initially, found it. Um, I think the reality becomes that some of these guys are just not as desired as they as they were expecting they would be now there's a couple things in that one being pride obviously um athletes are, are proud guys they they really are right? and and i don't mean that in a negative way i mean that's how not, they are who they are because right they is not their the ultimate ath- belief in self and that if you're going to be if you're going to be in a competition they believe they're going to win it and and but and a bigger one and something that, you know, Jess and I can really attest to from just people we've been around and, and the game we've been around so much is our, our agents. And agents, you got to remember, they work for the player. And, and they tend to say things like, oh, you can definitely still play, you know, <laughs> and, and or, yeah, you should definitely enter this draft. You'll be drafted super early. I've talked to people about it. You know, like that's. And, and yeah, guys get bad advice. It's just, it happens. It sucks. It 
but it happens. And I don't know if it was a combination of the two, but I do think it was a little bit of, um, you know, I, I come to Jesus moment for Hicks that he was given, he was given the green light to go get a trade. His contract's not obscene by any means. Um, and literally no team even sniffed around. Right. They and, said there are, there are, there are some interest. Nothing actually came to the table. And, and one of the points I know that they in Rappaport said is that is the guaranteed money for this year. And, in some ways, well, like if he's going to be, it's going to be guaranteed anyways on week one. The thing was trading for him in May and June, where you don't know how things are going to play out, and committing that money is different than say at the end of training camp. You know where you at and what holes you have. Um, that might be a more, that might be a more palatable trade. But if you're bringing in a guy who, whose play did diminish. I didn't say he was bad last year because he was productive and is still clearly very capable of leading a defense and producing, but his play did diminish between 2019 and 2020, and it's at a position where teams tend to not, I don't know, there, there's, a, there's a specific type of team that goes for a guy like Hicks. And that's a, a team that is building from bad and a one that is very good or has aspirations being very good and they believe that they need something to steady the defense on in terms of that. Right. And there's just, I mean, there's not a lot of teams that need a Jordan Hicks right now, unfortunately for Jordan Hicks and, and that, you know, he had that realization. He still wants to start, think, and he still wants yeah, to be able to compete and, for the starting and, job. And again, that's the pride part that we talked about. I mean, he's proud. He deserves a chance to start. I mean, let's be honest. You and I would both agree. It should be the best man wins the position. Um, that being said, you and I also believe and agree that Zayvon Collins would probably win this open competition anyways. <laughs> like, um, like overall, yes, as long as he doesn't make too many mental mistakes. And I thought for sure this was going to be a phased in, but the fact that they're telling Jordan, nope, it's his job. Um, I just thought that was an odd way to do it personally. It, it is a very odd and different way. And it it's a very – if they hadn't brought in so many – respected veterans it's a very it seemed completely backwards for what they were doing on the rest of the team well and it's just a very dangerous dangerous thing to do to veterans like the last thing the last thing you want is to get on the wrong side of the nfl pa and then those guys and you know you don't want i mean because let's be honest it's it's a lot different if they just cut them it really is but the fact that they, he took a pay cut and then they did oh, this. We is, talked about this. It was like, that was like two hits to his right, pride. Right. It was like, one, he was willing to take a pay cut. No one wants to take a pay cut. And right. then after that, they drafted his replacement and told him, all right, now that you took a pay cut, so you're not being paid starters, buddy. Now you're not the starter. Right. <laughs> and so it's just, you know, it, it was just a tough thing. And so, yeah. like I said, I think both, I think we're on the other side of it and both 
both sides are going to be better. And, and quite frankly, I, I think Jordan Hicks is going to play still. I, I mean, uh, well, like, I'll tell you from what I saw last week, the Vance Joseph said there was a, there was a package where they could have all three linebackers on the field. And they did that last year for, for Isaiah, at, at least for, it was for, at least for eye candy for some of it. It, they, yeah. they started on some base that had Isaiah Simmons. They had all three linebackers on the field before they just only started only using Isaiah in their, in their NASCAR package where they had all linebackers. But what I saw a lot of was everything base. And, and I wonder if that's going to be kind of how they go. Is there technically three, four looked like a four, three because they had Zach Allen. They had on their base, they had, Three down linemen, Allen, Richard. Well, it ended up being Allen, Richard, and Lecky because and Lecky Fotu because Phillips was out. Chandler Jones. So it was well. There's technically three guys down, three defensive linemen and an outside linebacker. It was basically a an, on an even front, and then you had three off the ball guys and Hicks and Simmons and and uh, what's his Collins. And Hick, the way they lined up Simmons was kind of like an outside backer. But honestly, if if the plan really is to move Simmons around as much as they plan, that sort of base might really work. And Hicks will get to play significantly. And here's the thing. I don't want him to get traded. If they trade him, they are exposed at their death. They're very exposed because the only other player with any sort of experience is Tanner Vallejo, and he's I don't think he even has a hundred defensive snaps in his career. Like he well, might have every time he gets extended playing time, he, he gets hurt. He gets injured. Yeah. He's like the Chase Edmonds of linebackers. <laughs> yeah. So you know, as much as uh, you you wish Hicks to be in a situation that fits like for this team. Damn right, he's worth more here than than somewhere else as a starter because they're starting two rook. They're basically starting two rookies. Like you have Simmons with limited experience. You've got Collins who is a true rookie, and then you've got inexperience behind them. I mean, I, I talked. Yeah. I talked about it. I wrote about it in the off season. Is that including Simmons? All of the inside linebackers combined, other than Hicks, have played a total defensive snaps in their career that basically is equal to what Jordan Hicks played last year. That's not yeah. that that's a really odd thing to do on a team where you put veterans literally in every other position. <laughs> exactly. But anyway, coming to next on Rise of Seabird Podcast, the best of our Cardinals talk on the web. Let's wrap up our discussion and what the what the return of Corey Peters means for this team. That's coming next on Rise of Seabird. We're back on the Rise of Seaweed podcast. The best of our Cardinals talk on the web. We have a familiar face who has agreed to rejoin the team. And it's not Larry Fitzgerald. Sorry. Sorry, it's not Larry Fitzgerald. They even signed a receiver. Not Larry Fitzgerald. Instead, it's Corey Peters. Uh, he comes back on a one-year deal. It's where he wanted to be. He's healthy now, coming back from that torn patellar tendon, which is a that's a that's a big injury. Um, and I can tell, you know. I can tell you this from from conversations I've had is that it happened fast. Like they had a workout. Corey did not think he would be signing with the team, and he signed. Some people read into it that there may be some concern about the Jordan Phillips injury. 
I think it's kind of what the plan was the entire time. I've always felt that this team lacked one thing on the defensive line, and that was a veteran nose. Xavier Williams could have been that. David Perry kind of – they've both been starters in the league. Both have played. Uh, David Perry's been a starter. Uh, Xavier Williams has been in the league for a while. It's the second go-around with the Cardinals. But in terms of how they built the roster, I always thought that Peters was going to be a good fit if he wanted to come back because, one, he can play multiple positions. He, in, if, if Lawrence or Foch, who aren't getting the job done um, at nose, he can play there. And it adds proven depth. He's, he's been productive for a number of years. Yeah, I think this is another move that like really just benefits both sides. And I think, you know, for Corey, I, I think it's one of those things that he'd like to leave the field on his terms and on his own feet. Um, you know, and and obviously there there does come a point where your body doesn't allow you to, and so that you know that's something to watch. But I think from a perspective of Corey, he's you got to remember three uh, three Achilles tears in his career, and he's still been ultra productive. He's had a fantastic career, and so he, I, I truly just think he wants to walk off the field on his own. And, yeah, and he doesn't have an expectation of playing time. Like I've, I had a conversation with his agent. Like, does he expect it? Like, he has no expectation of playing. So he's going to be on the roster, and it might it might look like Frosty Ruckers last year, right. here. Where uh, and, his, his play to that Peters has honestly Peters has played more than we anticipated the last two years. He had a bigger role than we uh, thought he should have had. Yeah. And it was out of necessity because none of these right. young guys were any good. And so I, I truly do think that that's all this is, is that it's Corey is a, a phenomenal veteran presence. And like you said, he basically plays any of the spots along the defensive line, including defensive end in, in a base run defense. Um, they'd love if he's a, a 15 to 20% snap guy. They would, I think, absolutely love that. I think if he has to play 40% of the snaps, you know what Corey Peters will do? He'll play 40% of the snaps and give you everything he has. But I think I truly do believe that this is one of those situations where he feels – like he, the, his ending was written for him and he wants to be able to write his ending. And, and that doesn't mean he walks off with a Super Bowl ring. <laughs> be I, great. I think, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I think what it means for him is he walks off the field the final time. Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. That's, that's what he's here for. And, and what this does the roster, eh, based on like, I've already done a, a roster projection. It's going to make it hard. It, I, I, there for me are six defensive line locks, and I don't know if they go. I don't if they have a seventh player. I like they probably they might have a seventh defensive line, but it's going to be hard with the other positions that some of the players they want to keep around, especially as we get further into training camp. If they're going to keep three quarterbacks again, because I'm getting the I'm getting a sneaky feeling that that's the plan. That Chris Trevler might still be the backup. And yeah, Colt McCoy's the number three because Chris Strebler got first team reps the other day, and it wasn't Colt McCoy. Strebler's been the main guy as the number two guy, and so yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, I think defensive line and 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 um, the wide receiver position are the two to kind of keep your eye on. It feels 
it doesn't feel like there's going to be a lot of surprises anywhere else. No, um, I said, I said you're going to these six guys are going to be on the roster for the D, D lines. You're going to have JJ. You're going to have Jordan Phillips. You're going to have Corey Peters. You're going to have Lecky Fotu, Rashard Lawrence, and and Zach Allen. There's no room for anyone else unless they go with seven. And honestly, the guys that they have, like Xavier Daniel, Xavier Williams, would be nice. But none of the other defensive linemen on the roster are like, wow. Well, and, and let's be honest, they're going to keep one or two along on the practice squad. Yeah. And, and if they need one of these guys, if somebody gets poached or you know, or if they just cut them, they'll be able to get one of these. Well, guys yeah, they've back. they've worked out a number. Like if they signed Corey Peters, but they worked out PJ Hall. Uh, they did the kid out of U of A they brought in last year. I can't remember his name off the tell. PJ Johnson. So it's, they, they did PJ Hall, who's been in the league, PJ Johnson, who worked out. So they've got, they've got kind of their go list for defensive linemen. If, if it comes down to it. Exactly. So I think we're just, you know, at the spot where it's just going to be, you know, health wise. And that's, what's going to matter. And with that, we will wrap up this edition of the show. Uh, I imagine we will have something to talk about next week as we get ready for the first preseason game of the year against the Dallas Cowboys at home. Real fake football, which is different than last year when we only had real football. But real fake football is important for, for these young guys. So we will be back again next week to talk more training camp, talk about the preseason. That's Seth Cox. I'm Jess Root. Thanks for listening. As always, we'll be back again next week. Thanks for listening to the latest edition of the Rise Up Sea Red podcast. Listen to previous episodes and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Audioboom, or many other podcast platforms so shows are delivered directly to your mobile device. Please give the show a five-star rating and always support the sponsors who support the show. We'll be back soon for the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. Rise Up Red Sea, Be Red Sea Red, and of course, Rise Up Sea Red.